All right, go ahead and open your Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 30 tonight. Finally making our way through the book of 2 Chronicles, only about six more chapters left. There's 36 of them all together. So we're getting there. It's been a good study, I think. All right, it seems like the theme of revival has been on our lips and minds over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to continue with that theme tonight. Uh, you remember last chapter, we had King Hezekiah, who his first order and his first step as king, as he took over the, the kingdom of Judah, was to rebuild the temple and to re established the temple worship. So he, we, we talked about him having his priorities straight and how we as the church need to get cleaned out and as believers need to clean out our hearts and get our priorities straight towards the Lord. So tonight we're going to see a little bit more about <clears throat> the revival and the reforms that King Hezekiah brought. And we look at revival as the restor restoration of the church itself. And often whenever we see uh, revivals that often refers to the revivals that we've seen in the Bible. Often we see a king, as we went through First and Second Kings and now Chronicles, we'll see that an evil king may have taken the reign of, of Judah or Israel. And we can see that here with Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, that he did not do right in the sight of the Lord and brought the nation to, a, to moral decay. There was, there was nothing good going on during his reign, but his son steps in. And we're going to see all kind of change, a revival breaking out in the nation of Judah. And we see that throughout the scripture. We'll see good kings step in, bad kings step in, good kings, almost like a roller coaster ride. But there's always, God's always bringing them back to him. And we're going to see today that King Hezekiah has already restored the temple. And now he's going to restore the worship and sacrifice and a revival. He's going to invite everyone, even those in Israel, to come to the revival. Now, within modern Christian history, we've had several revivals. The 18th and 19th century in America had a number of great awakenings that has occurred in the United States. Uh, they had one in 1727, 1792, 1830, 1857, and 1882. So quite a few great awakenings at that part. And if you want to get to even more modern church history, we've had some in the 20th and 21st century. Well, we're waiting on the 21st century, but the 20th century. So we had those in 1904 and 1905, which was the Welsh revivals. We had in 1906, the Azusa Street Revival. We had in 1930, the uh, Bellicle Revival. We also had in the 1970s, which this means a lot to us here in Calvary Chapel, but the Jesus Movement Revival. 1971, we have the Boreo Revival. 1909 was a Chile Revival, and that one actually spread to the Americas, Africa, uh, and Asia, and it was among Protestants and Catholics at the time. And now looking at the Jesus Movement, since that one's a little more near and dear to Calvary Chapel, uh, that happened in the, the late... 1960s to early 1970s, where a lot of churches on the, on, uh, started off on the West Coast. Uh, a movement has started there, witnessing to a lot of the hippie generation of that time. 
and a lot of people were saved, and, and, and as we can see from our own church, started their own churches, and that spread throughout the United States, uh, Europe, and some of um, Central America as well. And members of this movement were called the Jesus people. I'm okay to be called the Jesus people, or even Jesus freaks. I can be a Jesus freak too, I'm okay with that. But this Jesus movement left a leg legacy of various denominations within uh, Christianity, and many different organizations were birthed out of it. Uh, also, the Jesus music, a lot of the contemporary music and worship that we hear today started through the Jesus movement of the 19, late 60s and 70s. So we have a, a lot to be thankful for for that movement. And like I said, the Calvary Chapel movement came from there. Pastor Chuck Smith started with a church uh, called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California, with about 25 people at the time, and has grown to go worldwide. The Lord has definitely used the Calvary Chapel movement in bringing people to Christ. And uh, I thank the Lord that he, he's done that. So today we're going to review the spiritual revival during the reign of Hezekiah. So because the temple conditions were not where they needed to be whenever the time of the Feast of the Passover uh, was ready, the temple was not ready for it. We'd seen that Ahaz had done so much destruction to the temple and to the nation that they were not ready for Passover when Hezekiah took over. Now, the time of Passover usually took, uh, was during the time of Nisan, which is around March or April time frame, uh, and the temple just was not ready for it. And we don't hear much about the Passover throughout First and Second Kings and Chronicles. The last time you really heard about it was probably around Joshua chapter 5, when the, the true celebration of Passover. But we see Hezekiah is going to restore that in our chapter we're going to read, read through today. So let's go ahead and start in chapter, uh, chapter 30, verse 1. And it says, And Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah. So he wasn't just sending this to Judah. He was reaching out to his brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom as well. And also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. So Hezekiah sent this message out throughout the entire nation of Israel, not just the nation of Judah. He's sending it out to his brothers and sisters who at the time, in this time period, the Assyrians were starting to move in and capture and enslave the ten uh, northern kingdoms. So it was almost like Hezekiah trying to give his brothers and sisters a way out. Come down to Jerusalem. Come join in the festivities. You know, and you can maybe escape this... Uh, this carrying away of your of your your tribe, the ten tribes off into Assyria, so he was offering them kind of a way out, but uh, he so he called out to Israel and he called out to Judah that we're going to celebrate the Passover, come back home, come to the temple and let's celebrate. Moving on to verse two, it says, "For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem." had agreed to keep Passover in the second month. So they, they made that change. For they could not keep it at the regular time because of, the sufficient num because of a sufficient number of priests had not um, consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together in Jerusalem. So it was a small, steady move in the right direction was happening. A lot of things did not happen quickly. 
When you have a nation that has been destroyed, it does not become great overnight again. It takes work, it takes dedication and trust and getting the people to trust in the ruler once again. And Hezekiah was trying to do that. All right, and it says in verse 4, it says, And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly. So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all of Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, and they should, uh, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in, in the prescribed manner. Then the runner, runners went out all through all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke accordingly to the command of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of, of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespass against the Lord God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation, as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked, as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them to captivity, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So here we see the message is being sent out to come and, and to share in this Passover. And we know we're, they're setting it up at a different time because, because of, of the, the decay and moral decline that Ahaz, I can't harp on that enough, how badly he messed up Judah. I mean, the scriptures explains it to us, but I, it probably a lot worse than what is, is even telling us in the scriptures. So Hezekiah had a big job ahead of him, and I think he's heading in the right direction like he did. He rebuilt the temple, got that back, all back in order. Now he's sending out and even reaching out to Israel to come back and celebrate with this temple, uh, the Passover celebration. So the love and devotion to God, to the God of Israel, had reached rock bottom. And now they're having to look up towards God. And how many of us in our lives, no matter what area of life you're in today, may have hit rock bottom at some point? There's nowhere else to look but up. You can't keep looking down. You keep looking down, it's darker and darker as you look down. But when you look up, you start to see the light. That's like being in a pit. We talk about Joseph being put in a pit by his brothers. If Joseph would have just kept his head down, he would have seen darkness the rest of his life. But he looked up and he could see the light at the top of that pit. And I think a lot of us may have had that life where we were down in the dumps and we looked up and we seen the light of Christ shining with his hand out reaching for us for salvation. Amen? And so this nation had gone that far down to where they were in the darkness of the pit, but they could see that pinhole light in the future as Hezekiah was leading them. So we see here in verse 4 it says that... Our, that all the matters pleased the king and all of the assembly. So they were not going to celebrate it in the prescribed time, in the time of Nisan. They would have to celebrate it at a different point, and all the leadership and the king agreed on this. So they were in one accord on this. 
they sent out the proclamation. They sent it down to Beersheba, which is the extreme south part of Judah near Negev. And they sent it up to Dan, which was in the extreme northern part of Judah at the time. And they also went out into outlining uh, areas and boundaries, reaching out to their brothers and sisters. And then it says here that they called on the children of Israel in verse 6. It says that the runners went out throughout all of Israel and Judah and that the king proclaimed, children of Israel, return to the Lord your God. This proclamation was not just to the nation of Judah. He was including the nation of Judah and Israel to come back together as one. He wanted them to come and worship as one people under one God. And that's what he was calling for here. And you've got to remember, this was, this, they were not one since, since Solomon. So this was a big move on Hezekiah's part to try and get them all back together. And he says, he called, he called them the children and, and to come worship the God of Abraham, Isaac. And he used Israel instead of Jacob. So God was happy with Jacob at this point, right? He called him Israel. And this was to come worship the God who had made their forefathers promises. He made promises to each and every one of these forefathers. So he's basically saying, Israel, Judah, come back and worship the God of promise. And that's what he is calling out to them. And so they were called, called on not to be like, because he's going to say fathers and brothers, but he's not talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He's talking about don't be like the kings that led Judah and led Israel astray. Don't be like the stiff-necked people that have been in your family. Come away from them. Be different. Be called out by me to come and be different. And the, the issue here, and I think about it today where we're at in our nation, Hezekiah is telling them to look back at history and seeing what your family, what your brothers and your mothers and your fathers and your sisters have done that hurt the Lord, that brought disgrace to the Lord, and don't be that way. Don't be like those who sinned against God. And I look at us today, and we need to learn from history, and they're trying to erase history right now. They're even wanting to take down statues of Jesus right now. How demonic is that? But they're trying to erase history, and we need to continue to teach our children and our family members the history of our nation. For they don't forget and they don't repeat what our fathers and our brothers and our mothers may have messed up in history, that they don't repeat those things, and that we move forward in history with God. So here we see he's telling them to come and to serve and to worship God in the temple, which God had set the temple aside to be able to worship him, and they said that they have to fulfill the requirements that was in the Torah. And why would they have to fill these requirements and come and worship God and return to him? So that the fierce anger or the fierce wrath of God would not be upon them like it was on their fathers and their brothers and those who decided to turn their back on God. So he's calling them back to worship. He promised if they would come back. Now, God had to be speaking to him right here because that's a bold, bold proclamation. 
that he's given to them in verse 9. Let's go ahead and read that again. He's telling them, For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. He's saying, hey, these, your relatives, your wives, your sons, your daughters, your fathers that are being taken into captivity, if you turn and you worship God now, God is going to promise to take care of them in captivity. That's bold because he didn't know whether that was going to happen or not. So I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that God was speaking to him to share this with him, to bring comfort to those who were going to lose family members and they would never see them again to bring comfort to them. And he's telling them now, come back to God. You know, those who don't see grace and mercy in the Old Testament, and you always see, you always hear these people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is not the same God of the New Testament. The, the God of the Old Testament is full of anger and wrath, and he, he's taking, he's killing whole, whole tribes of people and he has no grace and mercy, unlike the God in the New Testament who's full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. But that verse 9 is showing God's grace and mercy. These people are going to go into captivity, but God is promising you if you return back to him, he's going to keep his hand on them and protect them. We look at the whole, from Kings and Chronicles in these 200 plus years that Israel and Judah were nations, and we see God constantly showing them grace and mercy, constantly showing them patience, even though they would sin and go off and, and disrespect God, God was always waiting for them to come back and gave them chance after chance after chance to repent and come back to him. And he's doing that to our country today. Our country has stepped so far away from God, but God is still a patient God. God is still a loving God. He's a graceful God. And he's asking is that, if you would only come back to me, and I can be gracious to you. If you would come back to me, I'll shower you with mercy. If you come back to me, I will protect you. We need to come back to God. And that's what he is asking us to do today, is to come back and turn to him as a nation, as a people. So moving on to verse 10, you know whenever... You send messages out about God, you're not always going to get a great response. If, you, if you've been a Christian for any period of time and have witnessed to people about Christ, you get a uh, plethora of responses, some good, some bad, some really bad. But it says in verse 10, it says, So the runners pass from city to city. Can you imagine having to carry a letter out at this time? Just kind of a side note. I know we, me and Annette like to watch some uh, old shows from like England and all this stuff. And every time you turn around, they're bringing letters to these people. You know, we didn't have the mail trucks and, and such like we have today, so they had to run all over the countryside bringing these letters. So it says, so the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. The NASB says that they used the word scorn. They scorned them. Scorn means uh, the belief that someone is worthless or despicable. So they thought they had a worthless message or a despicable message, and they laughed at them. 
So the people of Israel are going through these troubles and these trials, being taken away by the Assyrians. And good news is heralded to It's brought to them to their doorstep. Hey, come and worship God in the temple in Jerusalem. We're having a celebration. We're going to celebrate how good he is. We're going to celebrate the Passover. Come on out and let's celebrate. And they laugh at him. They laughed at Jesus on the cross, too. They laugh at us for meeting on a Wednesday night when we can be doing other things. I'm going to let them keep on laughing because when the, when the end comes, they won't be the ones laughing. I pray they get saved and they, and, they, and they come to the celebration of God. You know, Psalms 1, 1 says, it warns us not to sit with the scornful. Don't sit with the scornful. Don't, don't cast your lots with the wicked. But rather, we need to cast our lots and be with those who are are saved and born again and worshiping God, and we need to be the light for those who are laughing at us. We still need to be an example to them, but it, does, it doesn't sound like the world has changed too much. They're still laughing at the message. But in verse 11, it says, Nevertheless, some, of, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So on Sunday, we talked about one of the first steps in revival is humbling ourselves before God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right? He said he would heal their land, forgive them of their sins, rescue them. So we see here that they're taking that first step. Some of them humbled themselves and they came. They heeded the good news of what God was bringing to them. And they came and they worshiped in the temple. They took care. They took the time to come and show their respect to God and recognize who they were. And that's one of the first steps that we need to do in our lives is humble ourselves before God. So we see them humbling themselves. In verse 12, it goes on. It says, also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart, to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. They gave them singleness of heart. They were in one union with each other. Lois prayed about the church as, as a whole coming together in this and not being divided. And that the church would come to pull together and pray and, and get through this tough time we're in. That's what we're seeing here. They're coming together in one heart. They're going to put their petty disagreements aside and we're going to worship God. And we're going to pray and we're going to, we're going to live for, for God. That's what they're doing here. It says, now many people a very great assembly gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. So remember all those low places and all the altars that they had all throughout Jerusalem? I mean, Jehoshaphat tried to take them away. You know, quite a few of them, the good righteous kings would try and, and change and get people to go towards God. But often they would leave the high places and the, the altars there. Well, Hezekiah wasn't having that. He was going to tear down all the altars, all the idols that, that Judah was wanting to worship, and all the high places. He was going to do that as he reinstated the worship of God. And we need to do that in our lives, tear down those altars in our hearts and those idols in our hearts as we reinstate the worship of Christ in our hearts. And it goes on in verse 15, it says, Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs 
On the fourteenth day of the second month, the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sacrificed themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood in, the, in their place according to their custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priest sprinkled the blood and received from the, from the hand of the Levites. So we see them getting back into position, back into the practice of sacrifice and doing things according to the law of Moses. They're getting back into the things that God had commanded them to do in worship. And it goes on in verse 17. It says, in, in verses 17 through 20, make me happy. In great verses. It says, for there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of people, many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone. Let me read it again. May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone. Atonement for everyone is here. When Christ died on the cross as our last sacrifice, he provided that atonement for everyone. It's a gift that is open to each and every one of us. And we can choose to accept that gift or not. The choice is going to be ours, but that gift is ready. Atonement is ready for any of us to accept. The forgiveness of sins is ready, but we have to accept it. Verse 19, it says, Who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his Father, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. In verse 20, And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Amen. We are all, we are all unclean. <laughs> we, at one time, were all unclean not sanctified, not, not ready for the Passover per se, not ready to really receive a holy God into our lives. But because Christ died for us and that blood washed away our sins, we are now sanctified. We are now ready to go in the presence before God because that veil has been ripped and a way has been made for us. And I love it. I love it the way Hezekiah prayed. For, for them saying, man, uh, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone. I wish I could say it in a, in, in a better spectacular way for us to, to, to really grasp what he's saying right here. I can't. <laughs> but he has made atonement for everyone. And until he comes back again to take his church up and comes back in the, on the last day, on the Lord's day, that atonement is here for everyone today. Every one of the rioters that are out there, everyone who has turned their back on the Lord in any form or fashion, it's there for them if they would open their eyes and see it. Amen? And we as a church... You know, it goes, on, it goes on to say, he says the prayer for him and all that, and the Lord granted it. 
In verse 19, he says, who prepares his heart to seek God? And that's what we got to do, prepare our heart to seek God. That's what it takes. We may, you know, ceremonially be unclean, but if we're preparing our hearts to seek God, Sunday we said we have to seek the face of God. We have to prepare our hearts to do that in prayer, in our word, in the way we live our lives, the way we treat other people. We can get real clicky or churchy inside of our churches here to where someone may come in and they don't look like you, they don't act like you, they don't dress like you. We may see them as un, un, impure maybe. But Christ didn't see us that way. Christ saved us. Even though we had leftover remnants of the world we were once living in. Because it says we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of his of being cleansed by his blood. The church is not a museum to where everything looks nice and proper, but the church is a hospital. It's a combat hospital. There's blood and guts everywhere. And we need that healer who is Christ. We need him to come into our lives and to save us. And our neighbors need that, and our friends and our family neighbors, uh, family members need that as well. And we need to bring that message to them, even though they may laugh at us at times, and let them know that there is someone here that wants to atone you and wants to forgive you of your sins. All right, so let's move on to verse 21. It says, So the children of Israel, who were present at Jerusalem, kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. So they were, having, they were having a party. They were getting down, worshiping the Lord. They had music going on, looks like 24-7. They were having a great time in the Lord. And it goes on to say, And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. So they had worship going on. They had preaching going on. They had feasting going on. This is a good, I wish I was there with them. Sounds like a good time. And it says, gave good knowledge of the Lord, and they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their father. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. They didn't want the party to end. They wanted to keep going. I hear about some of these revivals that... Uh, tent revivals and stuff they've had in the past, like the one they had in Los Angeles where Billy Graham was at. It was only supposed to be a couple days, but I think they went a couple weeks with it, if I'm not mistaken. I'm like, can you imagine that? Just the spirit working in and out of people just to, just to draw them in, to get them saved and to get them on the right path. And like they didn't want to leave the presence of God. I don't know about you, but you've ever had the presence of God around you. You've been in the presence of God. You don't want it to leave. It may bring you to tears. It may bring you to laughter. It may bring you to praise. It may bring you to your knees. But you don't ever want to, you never want it to end. And that's what these people, they were in the presence of God right here. And they didn't want that to end. Hey, let's go another seven days. I bet when those seven days were over, they probably say, let's go another seven days. We don't know. 
But they were excited that they were able to worship God and they were worshiping. Yahweh was a God, was their God again. From Judah, from Israel, people were coming back to God. And it says that Hezekiah encouraged it. Hezekiah was deeply moved at the singing and the playing of these instruments as they come out and that he now spoke with his heart full of joy and happiness to continue to do it and encouraging them to preach the word, encouraging them to continue in their worship. And you know what? Sometimes we need that encouragement. And sometimes we need to be the one encouraging others to continue to worship the God. Because we get tired sometimes. I get tired, you know, if everything happening. But sometimes you need that encouragement to keep you moving on. In verse 24, it says, For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep, and the leaders gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. So we see Hezekiah and some of the leaders sacrificing some of their own belongings, giving it up for the celebration for we can continue to go on. And sometimes it takes that sacrifice. In verse 25, it says, The whole assembly of Judah rejoiced, also the priests of the Levites, all the assembly that came from Israel, the sojourners who came from the land of Israel, and those who dwelt in Judah. So there was a great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. So it had been a long time since they started celebrating God for who he is. It says, then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place in heaven. So this extension was made possible because of Hezekiah and the leaders being able to sacrifice a little bit of their own property to continue to sacrifice and to continue to worship of God. And sometimes it takes sacrifice in our lives to help get people saved, to help motivate others to continue their walk with Christ. And then it says the whole assembly rejoiced together and they included the people of Judah, the priests and the Levites, those who had gathered from Israel were there with them. And all of those of Israel who had previously settled in Judah, even in the days of Jeroboam and Asa, were there worshiping with them. And there was freedom and there was gladness and great joy in this revival because they were worshiping the Lord. And they were, had acceptance of each other. The church or the nation of Israel and Judah was not bickering with each other at this moment. They had one focus, one goal, and that was to worship God. I wish the church today can gather that focus and come together. I like in verse 27, and then we'll be closing out. It says, Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voices were heard. And their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place in heaven. What comfort we have in knowing that when we turn to God in true worship, true prayer, and our voices are cried out to him that he hears us. He's not a God sitting on the throne deaf to what we have to say. He hears us. The creator of all the universe, of everything you see and can't see, 
has time to listen to you. And that should bring you comfort. That should hopefully bring you revival in your heart. That we have a God who cares and who loves and who wants to give us grace and mercy. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word today. And we thank you for the example that King Hezekiah has given us in, in setting your temple in order, setting the priorities straight, and bringing people into a relationship with you, bringing people back to revival, back to where our help comes from. And when this helps us to learn from these, these uh, stories that are within your scripture, Father God, to be able to apply these lessons to our own lives and that it may bring glory to you as well. Uh, we thank you for everyone here today. We ask for blessings over them and bless those who were not here, Father. Uh, we pray for traveling mercies for Pastor George and his family as they come back here, Lord. Let me give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.